0: And welcome to Adaptivist Live Team Titans, the stories of people with unique perspectives on work itself, defining and sometimes destroying processes, building tools, leading teams. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and my co-host today is Adaptivist content team lead, Dom Summers. Dom, how's it going?
1: I'm good. How are you,
0: Ryan? Always wonderful to see you, Dom. I'm doing quite well. And joining us today is an experienced business leader, entrepreneur, marketer, and best-selling author who has worked in and with multinational companies, successful startups, and agencies, Sophie Devonshire. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: I'm so pleased to be here. Looking forward to talking.
0: Well, we cannot wait to hear what you have to say. Your book, Superfast Lead at Speed, was shortlisted for Business Book of the Year, as well as getting to a number one spot on Amazon, and has a strikingly beautiful cover. And let's start off with a little bit about your role now as CEO of the Marketing Society, a very prestigious and progressive community of senior marketers whose purpose is to empower brave leadership. So, what advice would you give to budding CEOs and founders who want to build a successful business?
2: Well, that's a very big question. Uh, There's there's probably a a few things, Ryan, that I would want to to bring up and. They are based on having spoken to a, a number of leaders across the years and talked to them about what's important in business. So if you are looking to build a successful business at the moment, I think it's worth reminding yourself that it doesn't all have to be just about you. So the power of the team, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, um, and understanding that actually there are brains that can be borrowed, there are perspectives that are helpful, and there are thinking partners out there who can help support you in what you do, is I think really important for anybody who's feeling a little bit overwhelmed at the moment with what they're trying to do in business or with the idea that they have to be some kind of perfect leader in order to succeed. So that sense that you don't have to do it yourself, I think is really important. And one of the best ways to borrow people's brains or think differently is to stay incredibly curious and the curious people are the ones that connect with other people and have conversations with them the ones who listen to podcasts like this who read books who understand that actually one of the fastest shortcuts to success is to learn from the mistakes of others or um, steal like magpie the ideas (laughs) from other people as well So I'd probably start, oh, there's so many things to talk about, but I'd probably start with just an acknowledgement that actually, if you want to be successful in business, building up a network, building up connections, building up ideas will help support you all the way through. So talk a little bit about my new role, because it probably is relevant. Um, One of the reasons I, I took this job as CEO of the Marketing Society is because I have seen how useful it is for people to be able to come together as a community, as a society, and support each other. So the Marketing Society has been working with leaders and standing up for the marketing industry for over 60 years now. Um, But as you guys know more than anybody, the rapidly changing world in which we operate, the way in which technology and fast connections have, have changed the way business works means that for marketing leaders or anybody in marketing at the moment, things are particularly challenging. And the idea of a society that can help great marketers do well in their business, do well in their careers, do good by coming together and be a positive force for business in this world and feel good about business and about the marketing industry is really, really important to me. And so it's been great to be part of it all. Ryan mentioned before that you
1: published a book, what was the what was the reason why you decided to do that? Where did the idea of you know leading at speed originate from? Was it similar to what you had what you were talking about there with the marketing society, with trying to bring people together and getting ideas together?
2: No, I think for this, um, I, I've always been interested in the the, the thrill you get when you launch a new product and things move really fast or when you see somebody in, in in business who's who's really succeeding and flourishing and learning or or when anything moves at pace and you and there's something very exciting about that right um and i've actually worked inside Big super tanker organizations, and also founded my own e-commerce startup. And seeing the difference in pace between those was interesting. I've worked in different countries, so I lived in um, the Middle East in Dubai, where things can move very, very fast from a business perspective, and also in Estonia, the birthplace of Skype and transfer-wise, very e-enabled. And that be that ability to see things grow and move fast—it's it's intoxicating when you see that happen. And for a number of years, I really wanted to help support leaders who wanted to get the pace right inside their businesses. But a couple of years ago, when I started thinking about the book, there were two things that people were talking a lot to me about. First of all, everybody was um, fascinated by what's happened in this last Decade really, really post iPad, I, I would say we've had a decade of disruption in business. Everybody talks about it, you know, coding laying on coding, technology and technology, platforms, and platforms. We all know what's happened. And what that's then done is generated a world which is full of impatience. So if you're in business, you've got the hot breath of the shareholder saying things like, well, oh, hold on a second, you know, if Uber can go from nothing to a $58 billion valuation in five years. Why is it taking you so long to launch that new product? Um, so the shareholders are putting pressure on people in business. Um, everybody's audiences are putting pressure on, on people in businesses. So whatever you're doing, whether it's creating an a, 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 you know a big airplane or, or or whatever you're actually producing, everybody wants everything, Amazon Prime delivery, super fast. So there is an impatience there. and there's also an impatience there if you are ambitious, if you're a business leader, If you're at any stage in your career and you want to do more, we get impatient with ourselves. So I would speak to people who are saying, right, I can see that the world is moving super fast. I can see there is the potential there for me to be able to do so much more. But either my organisation is moving too slowly and it's driving me crazy, or I'm not moving fast enough. And then at the same time, they were all exhausted. And, you know, we've seen this even more in the last few months, the pressure of the pace can make it exhausting to to work. So I wanted to find a way to work out how can you get the pace right? How can you move fast when you need to, but also make sure that it's sustainable?
0: Tell us a little bit more about that, because I, I was really interested to know, how does someone in leadership balance that they're looking for the rush that comes along with having movement, but their teams might be dealing with, oh, you know, global pandemic and all that. So how do they establish that pace? Where are the places they need to look?
2: Mm. Well, it's, it's definitely not easy. And I would say that it is at the heart of great leadership, to be a, a good pace setter, which doesn't mean always going relentlessly fast and demanding that everybody else does and being like a, a Victorian mill owner shouting at people to go faster and faster. Um, <laughs> it means understanding that there needs to be a, a, a variable pace to help people through that. And there's a little bit of self-knowledge there. So so to research the, the book, I spoke to 100 different leaders across the world who are working for all kind with all kinds of different businesses you know as you'd expect the fast growth tech startups but also the big super tankers people like paul polman who's the global ceo of, of unilever um i spoke to the uh, head of the joint intelligence counterterrorism committee as well so if you think you have problems with your to-do list try saving the world from terrorism super fast all kinds of different people right? um but what what they all had in common was they understood that there is a need for speed, but that it is hard to work out how to, to get it right. So that pace-setting idea of making sure, for example, that you never, ever underestimate the power of the pause. Right, Everybody who wants to go faster doesn't like being told to slow down, but building in pauses into your work The pause before you start a project, the pre-mortem, the pause halfway through so you can check you're actually moving in the right direction. The pause straight afterwards to get fast feedback and iterate and and make sure you evolve. The pause in your week to make sure you're stopping to think, you aren't just rushing, rushing, rushing. The pause to re-energize because energy is so important. Building in the pauses for you as a leader but also allowing that and being aware of that for your teams as well makes a huge difference. Managing that energy and that sense of it all by, by being aware of it. I also have to say, I mean, the most, pretty much all the pace setting leaders I spoke to were naturally super fast themselves. They liked making things happen. But over their careers, they'd understood that they need in their teams people with perhaps more rigor than vigor or the meticulous thinkers or, or people who just had a different pace and that that was important and the structure of teams need to be needs to be built so that you can actually have that diversity of types of people there and that not everybody is as driven as some of the people who are leading businesses. So an understanding of pace I guess is the long answer to the to the short question of how on earth do you start to cope with a super fast world and the need for speed?
1: question around as a follow-up to that um, you know there are companies right now who are fortunate enough to still be growing and to still have that real pace that you're talking about in terms of more people more um, you know more customers all that kind of thing how does a leader or how does a business manage that growth internally where you've got lots and lots of you know new people coming on board and new customers and also having come from sort of um, like a smaller sort of a startup, um, going to the scale-up, going to the enterprise, how do businesses manage still wanting to go as fast as they were going before when they were smaller but now they're a different size and there are more people to bring into the conversation, more, um, more people to bring on board culturally as well. Like how does a business manage that type of, you know, growth and
2: hyper-growth? I think it's a, it's a brilliant question because you see a lot of companies struggle with that. the start up to scale up or how do you grow up without slowing up? Yes. And the reality is you do need to, to put in place, therefore, some more process. And those people who like to move fast and be revolutionary are inherently allergic to the idea of process. But process, when it's done well, can help speed things up it's a template if you think about it as frameworks for people um you know the 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 reality is if you give people a template or a default it is much easier for them to, to to get where they need to quicker and that's all that those processes are but you need the right kind of people to choose those processes and you need somebody still to say look we we don't want to slow down with this i'm thinking um there's a there's a couple of Businesses that I I spoke to and researched the book, and and that I know. In fact, um, thinking about companies like Farfetch, which is um, an incredibly fast growth company, and Jose Nevis, the founder, um, who's a huge visionary and one of the the fastest moving, fastest thinking people out there, with a a great sense of responsibility as well. And within Farfetch, I know that they, as an organization, built some really good cultural foundations um with shana head of, of people to make sure that there were the values and the behaviors um, as a framework to help the expectation setting in the communications and those are the kind of things that require a bit of slowing down to get them right but then once they're in place it helps that that scale happen um, i'm also thinking about octopus energy who um the founder greg jackson um, is one of Superfast interviewees, and we had him come in this week to, with his marketing director to speak about um, their fast growth. Um, Octopus is in the news today, um, talking about creating a thousand new jobs in the UK, and they've gone from nothing to a uh, one of the UK's only unicorns in four and a half years. So a fantastic example of how superfast growth can be achieved, but. From day one, they have focused on this being a customer-centric culture. And what that then means is everybody inside that organization, it doesn't matter how big they get, if everybody is thinking about the customer, then it helps speed up decision-making. It helps speed up communication because everybody owns that customer experience and you're not slowing down things by breaking it out into silos. They've also um, adopted, as many super fast companies have a continued focus on making sure that the person closest to the code the person closest to the consumer the person closest to uh, the audience whatever it is is the one who is empowered to make the decision so not slowing down with layers and layers and layers but giving people that freedom so let's talk you know the, the, the secret is you need the frameworks there you need the principles you need everybody to understand what is fundamentally right And then you can give them the freedom to respond to whatever happens, to move fast, to pivot, to to be great with customers. Um, But you've you've given them that mixture of a structure and and then the freedom. And I think that's, for me, how strong cultures can still grow without slowing up.
1: Do you think that freedom has to come with boundaries? Or do you think that you could give someone who's closest to the customer or... Um, you know, the person at the front end of the development, et cetera, et cetera, you could give them, you know, pretty much free reign of what they're doing? Or does it kind of need to sit in within a structure and there needs to be boundaries um, for that to
2: be successful and to be scalable? I think in that instance, you know, like like anything, it it, it depends on the, the risks involved um, and that, I think, is one of the, the challenges for a lot of tech companies, because obviously when you are a startup in some industries, you, you can take more risk and you can move fast and break things a little bit more comfortably. Um, I'm thinking now about um, how interesting, I, I, really, I really respect and love working with and hearing from people in the fintech world, so there's a great startup at the moment um, who's moving super fast called Banked, which is an amazing uh, digital payments system. And companies like that, I think, from day one, have to get that mix of rigor and vigor and and get it right because they are dealing with regulators so that you can't take the risks there. So those are automatic guidelines involved. Or or someone like um, so Anne Bowden, who's the founder of Starling Banks, another of the super fast interviewees, you know, and she went from massive banks in that with their slow moving juggernaut ways to set up starling bank um and you know she she but she could not risk uh things going wrong so again you know using all she she used a number of tools and techniques to really make sure she didn't lose any of the pace and she is a very very fast-moving person but of course you've you've then got to 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 have the gut so don't i think you do have to have the guide rails there um and have everybody understand that Um, but it's, it's a little bit different. It's, you know, if, if you've got command and control ways of doing it and you're saying to people, it has to be just so, and you're not allowing any creativity and, you know, then, then of course you lose all the excitement of the velocity. So it's, it's thinking about what kind of culture you want and how you want, because you do want the creativity as well. So
0: it's tricky. I think I'd like to get your take on the combination of, um, building a process while maintaining culture. How would you suggest that people who are find themselves in this situation, how do you implement processes across teams while maintaining the the vibrant, fast culture that we're looking to have?
2: I do think it's worth always thinking about parallel tracking everything. Um, so I think a lot of, of great companies were Building several things at the same time, and um, and culture is, I mean culture is is kind of like a, a garden, right? You plant some seeds, but you have to keep watering them, and you have to keep nurturing it, and and, and making sure it grows. So it's not just a right. We've done a, a few values there. There's the culture sorted. Um, so <laughs> I think the you know, the the thing and the thing we've we've certainly all seen even more than before. Now everybody's working remotely, is how easy it is for messages to be lost um, and things to be misinterpreted. So whatever you're doing from a cultural point of view, to have people who are responsible for continuous communication is important. And it's really easy, of course, in a massive company where you've got some kind of people in roles around that. But I do think there is also a responsibility for any leader just to keep talking to people and sharing how they're feeling. And I think the other thing, Ryan, is an acceptance and an acknowledgement that things will screw up or things will go wrong and that perfection is is never something that we should feel is likely. Um, Let's try it. Let's experiment. Let's do that together. Uh, Let's work out. Let's reflect on what's worked. Did that work? How do we feel about it? That kind of, uh, you know, leadership is iterative. Teamwork is iterative. Culture, it certainly is. And having that sense of let's learn together and evolve and test um, makes takes the pressure off a little bit as well. Because I think those people are trying to set up this, hey, I well, want this to be a great place to work. It's all going to be perfect. Um, it's a lot of pressure.
1: I have a question a little bit around um, what you touched on with the pandemic and us working remotely. There was an article that was published today by the BBC, which actually cited that um, we did a survey of about 1,000 firms. And... of them said that they were planning on maintaining the increase in home working after the pandemic, and more than half of them also planned on reducing their long-term use of workplaces. So what do you think that means now for leading at speed, and how does that um, work inside the context of um, the pandemic with people, the majority of businesses working from home, that looking like it's not really going to change very um, anytime soon. Like how does that all affect um, yeah, businesses who want to you know go at really fast at really fast pace?
2: It's, it's it's it is fascinating at the moment to watch this you know, worldwide experiment in, in remote working and and to all be learning together. Um, so to if, if, yeah, all, all these things that are happening. If you if you don't care, that actually there are implications. They are they are fascinating. Um, I. I like to answer that by just explaining a couple of things. So there's a perspective for me in terms of being interested in business productivity and teams, uh, uh, but there's also a personal perspective. So I um the business that I started up, um, e-commerce business uh, years ago, I ran it for three years from, from the UK and then went to live in Estonia for three years. Um, just as the credit crunch hit, in fact, amazing timing. Um, and I ran it from the from Estonia and nobody based in London or, or, or elsewhere really knew where I was because you don't actually need to. You can have a UK number on Skype, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and ran the whole business um, with an entirely distributed workforce. And at the time, that was relatively unusual, to say the least, um, but it was a fantastic experience in learning how you can build amazing teams, even in that situation. So I had a team of customer service people who were exceptional and they were dedicated and they worked hard and it was a results only work environment because some of them were in the UK, some of them were in France. You know, they were, I could recruit the best people. Um, We built a great team and a great culture, even though half of them had never met each other. So I, you know, with the right principles, uh, with over communicating, Which is what you need to do when you're not together, um, and with an understanding that sometimes these things are a little tricky, it is, of course, still possible to build things in a great way. So, I have a sort of personal bias in favor of uh, looking at how dynamic working or flexible working can work for organizations and remote working because of going through that experience. And then across the years since then, I've worked with different people who've who've tried different things. And now we've got everybody trying different things. But the point is, if you want to work fast and in the right direction, it doesn't matter where you're working. You can still build a great place to work. But it requires thought. So it's the the point we made earlier about when you slow down and work out how people are going to connect. How can you test things and evolve it? You know, I've been with with my marketing society team just today, and we've had a team storm where we've been talking about what more we can do and how we can build those social relations. I'm a raging extrovert. So I hate the fact that I'm working in my SP office every day, my spare room stroke office. Um, So that's, that's the contrast with the fact that I do also believe it is entirely possible to do great work wherever you are. Where there's Wi-Fi, there's a way. Um, And I think people are very productive. And I think giving people a certain level of time sovereignty so they can have choice over what they do can be really effective for just living the lives that you want to lead. So in in the long run, I think that this great experiment will um, be very, very valuable for, for people and to give people more choice in the long run. But the psychology um, behind remote working, I've seen a number of studies that talk about the fact it works best when it is the choice of the people involved. So what's hard right now for all of us is, you know, it's not we've gone, hey, can we work from home? Wouldn't that be great? We've gone, we have to all work from home. So I think there is there is going to need to be a um, you know a huge reset and and way of looking at it as we move as we move out of this. We talk a lot about brave leadership within the marketing society, and there is going to need to be some, some courage for people in business, left, right, and center, to make the right decisions uh, for whatever they're doing. And thinking creatively and smartly about different ways of working it has got to, to take priority
0: and, and as we consider how we move forward. You mentioned bravery. Mm-hmm. In American business culture, Yes, vulnerability is almost seen as detrimental. Mm -hmm. It takes real bravery to say things might not go well. It takes real chutzpah, as it were, to to actually open yourself up to not knowing everything. So how would you encourage leaders to let that out? How would you encourage them to show that side?
2: When we talk about bravery, it's probably worth referencing one of my favorite stories about somebody who was incredibly brave. So the widow, Verve Clico, who completely transformed the champagne industry. She did so at a time of revolution and war and, you know, having to take over her, her husband's business when women really didn't work in business. And uh, she did some amazing things. And towards the end of her life, she, uh, she was called Barb Nicole uh, Verve Clico ponsadin and she wrote to her granddaughter and she said this she said the world is in perpetual motion and we must invent the things of tomorrow go before others and let your intelligence direct your life act with audacity and I love that as a call to action for all of us right now to have the personal courage to act with audacity, to take those risks, to be a little bit cheeky, to try something different, because that's the way I think we will invent the things of tomorrow. Uh, A little while back, um, Marketing Society Kantar and a fantastic marketing guru, Thomas Barter, did some research into the idea of bravery in business. And they defined sort of three different types of bravery in, in, in leadership. One is what you're referring to, Ryan, which is the um, psychological bravery to be yourself, to be open, um, to talk about the fact that things might not be perfect and you might not be perfect. There's also a moral bravery and moral courage in standing up for what you believe, which has taken um, more of a front seat in in leadership and business recently. Um, And then the last form of bravery is um, my favourite, obviously, because it's to do with speed, which is the ability to, to take audacious risks and commercial risks and, and, and courage when you need to move fast. But I do think the, um, the question about how vulnerable you are and how you talk about that has, has real challenges for people. Um, and there is a maturity, I think, probably that is needed to get to that stage and there's also a need for people to encourage other people to be a little bit like that. So I'm not talking about, you know, I come across some people who are just like, yeah, I'm so rubbish at all that. And I'm gonna tell you how rubbish I am and all that. And, and you know, and, and be really self-deprecating. And it's not, it's not underplaying yourself in that situation because I think we should be aware of our strengths and play them up, but also aware that none of us can control everything anyhow. You know, it's artificial and it feels it inauthentic and wrong. When you see people going, yeah, it's all going to be perfect, um, but I, I don't think it's a straightforward answer to all this. That all the leaders that I interviewed for uh, Superfast—it's very interesting when you talk to them about their history, because for most of them, there was a little bit of a point in there without being cheesy. Their leadership journey, where they bother to take some time to understand themselves and how they work. And I think, I actually think Brits find this hard, particularly because it feels sometimes quite self-indulgent to to, to say, how do I work? What, you know, what am I like? But, you know, spending time with a coach or a mentor or, you know, working out your Hogan profile or whatever those things are, understanding how people see you and, and how you work at your best that is incredibly valuable because then that allows you to be quite open to sharing what you're like because you're comfortable in your own skin. And that allows you, I think, to, to, be, to be vulnerable. And there's, you know, a whole fantastic cult of support around Brene Brown and everybody else about, you know, the, this, this, this move towards being more honest and open about um, how you are. And frankly, it's, it's just easier for a lot of people to be yourself. Um, so you, you save time not having to work out quite how you're gonna hide all your your um fallibilities. but it's but it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit of a, a line i think a line between not just going um yes i'm going to be rubbish but also just being prepared to talk about the fact that you can't guarantee anything
1: i've definitely found that as i've gotten sort of further along in my career i've just become more of myself I show more of myself to my team um, to you know east and west north and south all around it's just like this is who I am what I stand for what the team stands for and I think that that can be really beneficial because what's the point of pretending that I like something or that I'm doing something that you're you know you're just not doing and it doesn't feel authentic to you because I think people really you know, appreciate and respond well to that authenticity. And that can really be like a great building block for teams, especially since we're trying to build that relationship with people who we may have never met before because there is a pandemic yeah. and we're all
2: working from home. Yeah. That is that is so true. Um, and I've had to do, in the last few weeks. You know, I've been meeting teams across the world just through Zoom. So being more human. And um, but one of the one of the big themes within Superfast that we talk about, you know, is human understanding, and what an accelerator it is. You know, that the more you understand your audience, the more you understand your team, the more you understand yourself, the easier and faster it is to be able to connect and communicate. So I think that's that sounds like a great strategy, Dominique. Just just, you know, uh, but it, it is tricky because people sort of say be yourself, and you're kind of like, well, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So sometimes taking a bit of time to say, well, what does that mean? Well, these are my values, or this is you know what I believe and my purpose in life, all that side of things, again, that gives you a framework to be able to work within that and um and answer things a bit more easily because you've spent the time building up an understanding of who who you are truly
1: it's just been such
2: a treat talking to you
1: (laughs) thank you so much
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely that's wonderful marketing society ceo and super fast lead at speed author sophie devonshire thank you so much for joining us today
1: thank you sophie you're
2: great it's brilliant to be part of it all thank you guys
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of Team Titans. Make sure you tune in next week for the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast and our next episode of Team Titans the week after. Cheers, everyone.